What is up, everybody? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcaster, Rafa Sparza, coming to you with another excellent installment of Grappling Hour. Now, I know I say we always have a great episode or an excellent episode, and I think you may be asking yourself, why would I keep saying that? Well, look at the other podcasts. I'm just saying, all things considered, we're not bad. No shade to the other shows. We definitely love most of them. Anyway, let's talk about some things. Our sponsors, why not? Let's do that one. NogiBJJGear.com. Go look at their stuff. They've got some amazing products. And, you know, some that uh, are okay. I'm not going to tell you which or which. You can figure that out. If you use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15, you will take 15% off of whatever you put in the cart. Now, if you look over at our friends at DodgyCollective.com, you will find that their artwork is superb. I want to give the biggest compliment to Tim and his dedication to his craft. There's such fine precision to his artwork, and uh, I'm a huge fan. All right, speaking of being a huge fan, our guest today, Derek Minor. What can I tell you about him except for the fact that fighting runs in his family? Now, I know that's usually like a euphemism that people say, but it is a very true thing in his particular case. And you will understand what I mean if you listen to the whole show. Also, you get to know a little bit more about his wrestling background and how he ended up getting into MMA, which to me, I get it. We are all young at one point in our lives, but he made a a little bit of a jump that even as a young kid, I don't think I would have. And in fact, I know I didn't because I would never do something like that. So it is kind of a fascinating journey that we find him on. And of course, we ask him about his big guillotine win just this past weekend on a major UFC card. I don't want to keep you guys waiting anymore. Let's get straight to that interview right meow. We do these fight companions, and I'm on air. You guys see my reactions as I watch the fights live. I got to tell you, man, I saw this fight finish, and I was doing my best to try and narrate what was going on, and there seemed to be a little little, little twinkle in the eye, a little smile that happened when this man seemed to be gifted a guillotine from the, the fight gods because you could see him look over to his corner and go, I'm going to win this right now. This is only 40 seconds in. This is going to be great. We can go party. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to bring on just fresh off his win over this weekend. One, Derek Minner. Derek, how are you doing, sir? What's up, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Just just ate lunch, enjoying, enjoying the moment, man. Good for you, man. I saw a little bit of what you were putting away earlier on your Instagram story, and I have to say, that looked delicious this morning. Oh yeah, this uh, I'm at this spot called Greenbelly. They've been a longtime sponsor of uh, us Nebraska fighters, and uh, they just got good good paninis, good salads, and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely definitely put it down just now. So good for you, man. I, I always feel for you guys when you're doing the weight cuts. So I just know with somebody who has seen my fair share of uh, fighters going through it that week after is um, you know don't bug the guys. They eat whatever they want to eat. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, keep it keep it manageable this time, just in case uh, we get a call, you know, off the short short uh, win. But it's kind of hard to resist some of the stuff, you know. I get home <laughs> I get home on Sunday, and my girlfriend has bucket of ice cream, ice cream bars, because I'm a sucker for ice cream. So, you know, I just gotta get that all out of there before before the next fight comes. So. <laughs> 
I guess the question is, what kind of ice cream bars are we talking? Are we talking like those old school, like the just the regular like brick ones? Like what kind of ice cream bars are we referring to here? Uh, the Klondike bars. I like Klondike bars and I like the ones that, God, they come in strawberry and chocolate with the chocolate and strawberry. God, what are they called? But it, they Claire bars, I think. And they Claire? Yeah, yeah. they were bomb. Yeah, then that's what I, I ate a lot of those in the last three days. Well, that that is true love. That is uh, <laughs> that is somebody who knows being like, hey, listen, we don't even need dinner. Just give me the ice cream. I am yeah. fully ready for that. Um, yep. Man, well, let me ask this. I want to go straight into the fight, and then we'll do a little bit of origin story. But was I right in making that sort of little presumption there? Because we only see it at first glance. But when he was shooting in, and he was going and he was like pressing you up against the cage and you had this arm around the head and you had this moment where you just kind of like looked over to your corner. Did I invent that? Was I drinking too much when I saw that or did that really happen? Well, actually I got a picture that I, I actually stuck my tongue out at my corners. Um, <laughs> it was, it was just funny because uh, what, the thing I usually, you know, used to, I would have jumped right away. I'd have jumped on the guillotine right away and I'd have grabbed it. But there was a lot of setup in that 30 seconds that people don't really realize. And so, like, when I threw my leg over, I kind of looked at my corner, like, for kind of like, hey, go for it. Because our whole deal was slowing the fight down, not jumping on stuff, just to jump on it like I have done in the past, you know. So, like, I kind of looked over at James and the guys and I was like, I got this. And he's like, he obviously, if you got some, go for it. And so like, he's like, go for it, you know, go, you know, he knew, he knew I had it. And I, that's right. I stuck my tongue out right before that. Cause I knew I had that, but yeah, you're, you're definitely hundred percent correct. I knew I was actually like, is this really happening? You know, did this, did this get set up this way? Like what's going on, you know, type situation. I mean, dude, a lot of us who practice or are trained jujitsu, we have our set of moves that we go, Oh, this was a mistake. You should not have put me here. Thank you very much. And so I, I just recognized that. And I was just so happy for you. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to reach out to you is because I recognized that position for you. How long have you had such an excellent guillotine? Uh, since day one. Uh, it's weird. It's weird. I mean, I, I have, you know, as a pro, that was my 11th, 11th guillotine finish. Amateur career, I probably had seven or eight of them. Um, I think it all started, man. I was a front headlock guy in wrestling, and then uh, I trained right away when I started training it there. Everybody was bigger than me, like way bigger. And so, like, I had to have a good front headlock, I had to have a good choke, you know. And so, it just trickled on from there. But, man, uh, yeah, I've, I've been guilty in mofos for a long time. <laughs> Do you understand there's a little bit of anger on this side of the world? Because I was not a wrestler when I was a kid. So I jumped into jiu-jitsu just being a jiu-jitsu guy. You know this is our defense mechanism for people like you who are wrestler-based. So when you see the wrestler guy have a guillotine that's deadly, it is like when you see in Jurassic Park that the dinosaurs start talking to each other and you go, oh, no. This is terrible <laughs> news for us. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's just it's something else. Like, I'm completely comfortable with my back pressed against the cage like that. And that's like – and it was – yeah, it was definitely definitely a gift. Um, I don't think he could help himself after he felt the – because I threw some smoke at him with those two, two punches, and he couldn't help himself after the knee landed. So, yeah. 
Well, I, I thought that was a, a pretty good execution, man. And I just was, uh, I was so thrilled for you. And obviously you, you make a great impression on a night that a lot of people are watching. So that is a pretty big, epic night. And I've heard from many different fighters, you don't really get to have the pomp and circumstance of sticking around. But what was it like being on that card? Because there were a lot of people watching. Man, it was just, it was, it was a chance. Like, honestly, I would have rather had that finish happen, like, on the card with seven fights. So I definitely took home the 50 Gs. Even though I think I got bamboozled out of the 50 Gs, um, I would have definitely rather been on a different card because that was a tough card to get a bonus on. But, yeah, it was great, man. Like, we, we, uh, anytime you get a fight in the UFC is a gift, man. I, I've, I've been around the block for a long time. And, you know, anytime I get offered a fight to the UFC and, it's, it's still like it still makes joyful because like you're fighting in the UFC. So like any card is great. This card was just awesome. The everything surrounding it, all the publicity TJ was getting, which came came with me getting publicity. Um, yeah, it was it was great. It was great to fight a up and coming prospect. And, you know, that kid's going to be back and he's going to be tough to deal with. But with his with his uh, rise, with his prospect status became a lot of eyes became on me, you know, so that that was good, too. Absolutely, man. And that's always uh, an interesting aspect of the the game. I mean, I'm a compulsive gambler, but I kind of make a practice that I don't try to bet on fighters because I end up interviewing them. And sometimes they do their research on me. So, you know, I've, I've walked a little bit away from doing uh, bets on people. But I do always wonder, do you see those odds? Does that ever play into any form of, uh, you know, that kind of fight game where you just look at it and you go, oh, so we think uh, I'm the underdog here. Man, I've, I mean, most of my last three big fights, Herbert Burns, Grant Dawson, and this one, I was in the plus 250, 260 range, which, man, I just don't understand it. I don't understand, especially this one. Like, I can understand, like, Herbert's got this great ground, but, like, I mean, I was kind of whooping on him before, before I got submitted. And then Grant, like, you know, we're teammates now, but I, I had him in a lot of trouble early, you know, and then – when this kid comes up and all of a sudden you're a minus three ten, like that weighs heavy on that kid's shoulders. He's getting all this publicity. He's getting all that. And like, you know, like if you're smart and you're, you do research, you know that if you're getting a plus 1700 odds for me to finish in the first round, I don't care who it's against. You better take those odds and run with it, man. And I didn't even realize they were that steep, but yeah, I, I seen it and I, I kind of just chuckled because like, I, like I said in my, right after the interview, I was a, I'm plus 260 like that's that's just crazy to me that's crazy you know not not taking not taking anything away from tj he's good but he's 22 years old and he's 15 fights in you know i'm 30 years old and that was my 36th pro fight you know and i've beat some i've been fighting at a high level for a long time I think eventually, you know i'm always interested in kind of putting these kind of shows together i think what i end up uh needing to make is a show where I bring an odds maker on like a night out, a dinner with a fighter that they put as a heavy, heavy underdog and just let them converse and film that conversation. Because I would love to hear them. They tend to have pragmatic ideas behind it, but they never actually have to face the person. So I've always been curious to make the, the odds maker sit down and go, well, I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, you did win. 
but you know, and have them kind of walk their way through that. So obviously the night goes well for you and it's a nice encapsulation. I did want to ask about the prep because you said you had four weeks notice for this fight to get prepped. And honestly, even though that doesn't seem like a lot of time in the era of COVID, that might as well be like four months. <laughs> uh, man, uh, it was good. It was, a lot of things happened in this fight camp and I, I had a lot of, a lot of changes, man. There wasn't really, there was only a few things that were same. I changed literally everything. Um, TJ trains in Vegas. So I didn't go to Vegas and I changed my camps to James Krause at glory MMA. Um, that was the greatest decision I've ever probably made in my fight career. And now I have a head coach and, and James Krause and like, it's literally the first time in my career. I felt like I had a head coach. I felt like I had somebody that, where I didn't have to make any decisions. He told me what to do and I did it for the whole camp. And that, that was huge, man. I'm, I'm only 30 years. I'm well only, but I, I have a lot of fights, man. I, I have 36 pro fights. I had 15 amateur fights, but this is the first time in my career. I have a head coach. And so like the prep was, was great. You know, we only had like, I only had three weeks with James, but like, he put me through the ringer and he made it sure that uh, I knew what I had to do to get this win. And obviously going out there and getting in 50 seconds, like was the best thing that could have happened. But yeah, man, it, the prep was good. Prep was good. And now I have a lot more time and I found a new home. So it was even better. All right. So now, you know, there's a big story about James, you know, finding his way as a coach, even though he historically had coached against you, was there ever a moment where you put him aside and you just go like, so let's talk about you coaching against me. Um, <laughs> Hey, you know, we're all pals now. Um, what did you see or, or what was that conversation like? Are you guys able to laugh about that now? Sorry, my, I just had to throw my phone on charger. Nah, man, there was never a time like this. This was, was the greatest thing. Like I have a coach now that, has cornered against me three to four times. Right. Um, so he knows everything the ins and outs, how to beat me, what I'm good at, what I do, what I do not so good, like everything in between. So like he, like what's better than that? You know what I mean? So like the fact that he's cornered against me and he's, he's done all that, like was the best thing that probably could happen. I just know as a comedian, if I ever had somebody who had won as a coach against me, there would be a little bit of, so, hey, what's up? Uh, let's just get it out there. Uh, what happened? I want you to tell me your full fight strategy, and I just want to write it down. Uh, oh, yeah. that would no, and, no, he definitely, I mean, and he knows, like, he's cornered against, so I, like, I, I didn't take everything he says because he's such a good coach. And, and I'm sitting there, like, my training partners have fought me, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. they, they know what I'm good at. Like, like Grant, like Grant, like, I know that guillotine was tight, but he, he reassures me, like he, how, but like, it was super tight, you know? And like Kevin Kroom, I fought him and like, you know, just there's, there's uh Chuka Willis, like they're all there training. So it's it, for me, like I started my career, my, one of my last amateur fights, it, the guy is named Kevin Gray and he's my business partner now, one of my best friends. So like, this ain't the first time it's happened. So like, it's just the fight game, man. Yeah. That's an interesting uh, transformation to go from fighting someone to being like, you want to manage my stuff? 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's it's insane, man. It's uh it's definitely it's definitely a blessing in disguise, you know, and, and that probably maybe that's why it took me so long to get there. I mean, who knows? But like it was because uh, growing up in the Midwest circuit, like Kansas City is only two hour and a half hours from us. And, and it does. It's definitely we fight them a lot. And I've cornered against him. I've cornered against all their guys and, you know, and I've uh, fought all their guys. So, you know, might as well might as well join them. Yeah, we have a, a policy out here in Southern California where. You know, I, I essentially cover the beat out this way, and I know many of the guys. I train with a number of the guys, and so there are either times where people have super fights or they're fighting each other, and they're friends of the show or friends of my training camps, and I just go, guys, I'm washing my hands of this. Good luck. I'll see you after. I'll probably interview whoever wins, and, uh, you know, you'll be okay, and they all kind of are pretty good about it, but every once in a while I get somebody who just tries to pump me for some information. They'll be like, Hey Raph, what would you say is their weakest element? I was like, Mm-mm, Nope, Nope. I yeah, don't know. anything." Like, like I, uh, so that, that reiterates like TJ trained in Vegas. And like, we had a lot of mutual training partners because that's where I used to do my camps and a lot of mutual friends and a lot of, you know what I mean? So like, I never once, like I didn't hit anybody up for information. Cause I didn't like, he knows what I was good at. I know what he's good at, blah, blah, blah. You know, like we're, we're at this point in the game. Like once you hit the UFC and once there's so much film on you, like there's no hiding anything. People can say what they want, but you know, it is what it is. Well, also there's tons of footage, <laughs> like at a certain point, you know, when you're out of the regional or, you know, a certain area uh, of competing at, at the UFC, there's not like you could go to Dana and be like, yo, that fight wasn't great, Dana. Do you mind taking that one down for me? Because uh, that would really be great for me. So it, it exists and it's great. <laughs> I do want to circle back, man. So tell me a little bit about your origin story. Obviously, you mentioned you were a wrestler. I know that starts from uh, a very, very young age for you. Is When did you start wrestling? We'll start with that. Man, I, I had wrestled since I was four years old. Um all the way up until I wrestled one year uh, in college at a community college in Iowa. And then, yeah, and I started fighting right after that. So you mentioned that you did one year of college and then you said, you know what, I'll take a fight. And you, did you end up winning that fight? So I had watched, uh, so Anthony Smith, who's a, a light heavyweight in the UFC, we, we grew up together in the same small town of about 6,000, 7,000 people. Um, I used to go up and watch him fight at OFC, like the bar scene, like when back before the show was sanctioned. And then, uh, yeah, I wrestled one year in college. And then right after that, I think we were like 16, 17, 18 when he was doing that. And then so at this point I was 19 turning 20 and I just kind of like one of my buddies like I think I'm gonna go try to sign up for this fight and I'm like shit I'll go fight and I we drove like two and a half hours just me and him and yeah I won by arm bar and I never threw a fucking arm bar in my life <laughs> so like I literally watched it you know and I won by arm bar but that that feeling's a feeling you can never get back unless you step back in the cage and I I love that feeling so I I got addicted real quick for somebody who never really threw up an armbar before, and granted, my armbars are trash, so I can only imagine how crazy that has to be. Would you credit that to maybe having a very solid wrestling game that was the good base yeah. that allowed you to get to there? 
Yeah, I took him down right away, and, and then I ended up – like, I can't even remember how it happened. I think he, like, posted on his arm, and I was like, oh, let me try this. And then it, it popped, and I, I won. So it was one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that when I was doing my research and I heard you go, yeah, you know, after a year did wrestling, it's kind of like whatever. And then I just realized I should go fight, and then I did it, and now I'm a fighter. And I thought to myself, I guess that makes perfect sense even though to somebody like me, I'd be like, I think I'd want to train. There's a number of guys we tell, like, you're not fighting until you have this many things or this many different things. times, different, times. different times indeed. So if that is the case and you were already kind of like having it inside of your blood, you know, what made you decide that you wanted to do this for a career? Was it that fight or was it something before? Because I'm always curious what makes you feel like you have this sudden urge to fight. It probably came from somewhere else. Man, I was, I've, I've always been a, a fighter, you know what I mean? Like, even, like, whether it's fighting with kids on the, in, you know, at school or fighting teachers, not fighting them, but, like, arguing with teachers, being feisty, fighting with my parents. Fight. Like, I've always been, like, a conference, like, I've always had, uh, had that firecracker about me. So, I don't think, I mean, I always was like, oh, I want to be a fighter when I'm growing, you know, like, when I was younger watching the shit, but you don't know until you get in there. And like, I didn't know I was going <clears> to, <throat> obviously I always wanted to turn pro after a few wins, you know, and, and, and whatever, but you never really know the amount of work it takes until you get in deep in it. And so, yeah, I don't know where it really stems from. It stems from like the way I grew up, you know, like just, you know, fighting my whole life pretty much. I mean, understandable. So now I'm a little curious in terms of, how does jiu-jitsu find its way? Had you ever like taken a jiu-jitsu class before you had gotten that armbar finish? I had never, no, I hadn't even been into a real gym. I had trained in, um, for my first seven amateur fights, I trained into a garage and it was just me, another guy that did like army, I was really good at army combatives and then like a wrestling coach. And then we'd bring in a couple guys, but I was like seven and oh, as an amateur before I started training to fight um, That was at a real gym. So, yeah, man, I, I never really stepped foot and like I just learned as I go. And that's why I think my jujitsu game is a lot of transitional, like everything's transitions, transition, transition, you know, before I get the submissions. Well, kudos to you. I just like the uh, the bravado of being able to go into a jiu-jitsu gym and be like, I mean, I've already got some submission wins, guys. So, you know, things are, are looking pretty okay for me. But I, I am also going to point this out because you mentioned working out and, and training in a garage. You were just ahead of the curve because that's essentially where half of us are right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's for sure. We definitely – Man, it's crazy looking back at those times. There was like one big wrestling mat, you know, in a garage, and we we had a punching bag hanging down. And yeah, man, it's pretty much where, especially out in California, like I've I haven't changed my life one bit out here. Mm -hmm. I mean, like my gym's gym was closed for a week, I think. So that's it, you know. I I I still got everything I need needed in what during quarantine and stuff. But yeah, then we're. Then were the fun times, you know, no pressure, no nothing. You living at 20 years old, just training out of a garage. So, yeah, I, I, my earliest uh, grappling days, uh, I had a buddy who came from the military. He had uh, done combatives. So I remembered he started us when we would do it because we'd all obviously be super drunk, but he would start us almost back to back and you'd be sitting down. 
and then you would start. So when I went to like my first jujitsu classes and they didn't start us back to back, I was kind of like, the hell is this? What the hell? Yeah, it was like, I, I learned it like this. And I was like, oh, right, right. Combatives, probably bored. That's what they did back in. Uh, it all makes sense now. So I could only uh, make some estimations as to how that garage training could have been. But at the same point, it seemed to serve you well. So I was very curious about this. You mentioned obviously starting young. I kind of had to do a little bit of a deep dive over on your Instagram. And I would like to pull up this one because you said you were always a natural fighter. You mentioned you fight with like teachers, other students, and a lot of that happened. There was one photo that I was like, you know, I understand and I believe you. And here is why. Tell me what is happening in this photo that you see right now. <laughs> oh man, that's my pops, my grandpa, man. We, we, we would have our rounds, brother. Like even the time I was little, man, I remember him fucking finger for me snapping my freaking toes my hands all that you know i we'd have our rounds and like he wouldn't he wasn't shy away of freaking cracking me either so even at that age so definitely uh definitely stemmed a lot from that old man for sure and he was the boniest fucker in the world so like <laughs> i remember one time dude we it was recently it was probably like right before he passed i think his 70th birthday I like picked him up. I always picked him up and wrestled with him. Like we were always wrestling around and like he would hit me with this cane or whatever. But I remember picking him up and he was like launching elbows at me and I had a fight in like a week. And I was like, dude, if he fucking hits me with one of those, like he's going to crack me. So I had to like place him on the top of the car before he, before he, me. but yeah, I've been, I've been fighting that old guy for a long time, man, for a long time. And I have a lot of boy, boy cousins and, and my two brothers. So yeah, we've definitely been, scrapping in our family for a long time because i read that like you know obviously it's like you hear stories of of parents having wrestling and kind of putting the rough housing down i think it's inherent in a number of families origin stories especially those who end up fighting but i just love this as it says been doing rounds for a while now and one of my toughest was with grandpa and i think to myself ah oh, look at that great bonding now you're telling me you're like uh. Oh, this guy does not even let go when I have a fight week going uh, on and he is using his cane, which by the way, is a foreign object. So man. I have to applaud him maybe more oh, than I you see. now because I would 100% use pro wrestling rules of being like, well, foreign objects are for. Oh cane. yeah. Hey man, he would, he would definitely, yeah, he was a dirty mofo too, man. Like <laughs> he, they'd even say like back in the day with his biker, you know, all his biker buddies, my dad, all them guys, they, they were dirt, you know, he was a dirty one. He'd bite you if he had to, you know, like he would, he would, you know, get, he would get his for sure, you know? And so that's, uh, yeah, man, he, he definitely toughened me up a lot or, you know, stabbed me with his cane when I was younger, especially, you know, that he would allow the other cousins to hit me because I was one of the older ones. So it was, it was definitely one of those things. I just laughed so profusely because I, I just looked at it and I said, there's got to be a more story to that right there. So I definitely uh, had a good laugh at this. I do want to ask you about this because, you know, obviously you got LFA and, you know, there was the Dana White Contender Series. I'd love to kind of touch on those very quickly. But while we are on the subject of LFA, I would love to get your impression of this because I don't really get to ask people about fight posters. But when this photo happened, were you aware they were taking the photo? Because you look like a deer in headlights right here, man. Man, uh I, when I cut to, used to cut to 35, like I wasn't a function human being when I got down there. 
Mm. Like I, I cut way too much weight. I think for that picture right there, I fought Chico Camus coming off an injury. And I, uh, I think I cut from 173 and I was, I was messed up, man. Like I was passing out in saunas and like all that shit, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I wasn't aware, but yeah, that's, that. I definitely was a deer in headlights for sure. Cause dude, I look at this photo and the whole time I was doing it, I was just like, I mean, listen, dude, other dudes got super bang going on. I totally understand that. But when you are looking that bright eyed, I always go, they don't have a second photo. They don't have one there because I always think. <laughs> oh, like, dude, I was I was the same way, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was like, man, because I, I used to fight for LFA. I mean, I fought for RFA and LFA a lot. Right. You know, in my career, and so so like that's what I said. There's been a few times they've been on, put me on the poster. I'm like, what the what the hell is that? <laughs> You're more than welcome to curse, and I will tell you this right now. I think if there's any time to drop an f bomb, it would be appropriate to see a fight poster with you that you go, <laughs> that's the one you picked. Yeah, like what the hell, man? Like that that one uh that one was interesting. I think actually it was from when I fought at 35. It was like one of my better weight cuts, but I was messed up like like I, every anytime I got down there it was it was stupid. I'm just glad that you have uh, been able to have that perspective and you are able to go with the uh, at least looking at it with some uh ability to to look oh, back. Yeah. Hey man, I'll, I'll tell you this, whenever we make these videos they uh they pick like a still shot automatically sometimes so when it picks the still shot it's always of me looking the worst and i just kind of have to go with it because i go great job youtube computer i look like an idiot right there so i i understand it from a smaller perspective but i also don't have people uh clamoring to see those ones right there uh giancarlos hernandez mia says guillotine master absolutely G baby, he was uh, he was quite good at that. So I, I want to then kind of transition. You know, obviously working for that LFA, RFA, those are the feeder organizations usually to the UFC. Did it feel like, you know, a lot of people get those like one and dones, and then they go into the UFC. You have had a steady progression to the UFC. When that happened, were you looking at your times at the LFA and RFA, just kind of like biding your time and saying like, man, I'm close what more do I need to do? Man, the problem was I was every, you go look at all my, so I have four fights in LFA and you go look at every single one of those. And I think this is the reason that I'm in the UFC. Even you can say the contender series too. Um, I was beating on every single opponent, like beating them up pretty bad, you know, anywhere from, I was, I won the first round against Chico Camus, Jordan Griffin. I brutally mauled him for two and a half, two rounds and got caught in the, you know, in the round. Um, Kevin, you know, Kevin's a teammate now, but I, I mean, I floored him too, you know, in that first round. So arguably I had a bunch of 10, eight fucking first rounds. And so, man, I always knew I was close, but like, that's the thing, like you can't drop those fights. And so I was kind of getting kind of nervous that it would never happen, even though, I'm definitely more skilled. I felt like I was better than everybody that I was fighting and I never felt outclassed in a fist fight, but yeah, it was definitely one of those things. It's like, man, when am I going to get there? When I, I need the, I need the win. I need the one win. I need the win in the bigger organization. So it just so happened that the biggest win came last weekend in the UFC, which is great. So, <laughs> Hey, that's where you want it, man. I mean, the other ones are nice, but the UFC yeah. is a uh, way, way bigger thing. And I was curious did the Dana White Contender Series with that setting, did that give you a little bit more of a prep mentally 
for fighting this weekend in that like closed off sort of setting. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing out of, you know, it's one of those things like I've been in so many fights um, in my career and I fought as I fought on parking lots on a, on a car lot. I fought on, uh, I fought, dude, I fought in some weird places, dude. And I fought on racetracks. I fought everywhere. So like, I think a cumulative of all those things and the Dana White contender series, which you're sitting there in front of the bosses and you, you, you go out and you put on a show and you know, that's great and all, but like, I feel like everything combined leading up to the moment actually had an impact on, on my performance and like the setting and stuff, because I don't think it's any different. Like my emotions are the same going into a, like I tell people, my emotions are going the same going into 44,000 people arenas and, you know, whatever it is, then they are going into there. So it don't really change any aspect of uh, you're getting in a fist fight. Besides I can hear, hear people clear. That is interesting. I, I was curious, uh, you know, Vince Pichel told me that he was able to change his game plan for Jim Miller just based on what he could hear. He told his corner, he's like, I didn't want to hear what my corner had to say to me. I told him to shut up. I wanted to hear what they were telling him. And that's how he was able to win the fight. Is that something that is just similar where you could kind of hear your other corner going there? Because I could imagine they were probably freaking out once they saw your grip. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really... I, th- I don't know. Like, I didn't really any that 50 seconds. Like, I was super calm. I was cool, collected. But, like, once I had it locked up, it was, like, my own self talking to me. Like, I, I obviously looked at the corner like, hey, what's up? I got this, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I held myself talking, and it happened so fast. I was like, damn, this really happening? I'm about to get my first UFC win. Yeah, you know, like, I heard myself talking to myself more than I heard anybody else. You know, when he started tapping, I like it was like echo through my body, you know, because I knew I had it. It was just like I was zoned. It was weird. That's pretty rad, man. So right now, are you back? Is it Nebraska is where you're at? Yeah, yeah, I'm back in Omaha now. Uh, you know, for meantime, I'm gonna start splitting time between Kansas City now more often. That's awesome, man. Yeah, my uh, my co-host uh, for Verbal Tap, he is uh, he grew up in Kansas, so. Uh, Kansas City. So a lot of that was uh, definitely getting to hear his excitement when I got to tell him, I was like, hey, man, did you see that? And he was he looked at it and he goes, man, that's pretty impressive, dude. I was like, yeah, I go. So, you know, it was a nice day for uh, the Midwest boys. So uh, a great sort of thing to see. Oh, yeah. that way. I guess the question is, what is there to do in Nebraska when you have to not be fighting? So what do you do to kind of get out of that mindset? I know as a parent, you don't get a ton of free time. But I assume there are things that you have to do to take yourself outside of the fight game to kind of recharge. Not really, man. I don't I don't think I get out of that mindset. Like I, I love to watch fights. I love to watch fights on TV. I have a newborn four month old, so like I'm home a lot. I'm watching TV. I coach my little brothers and my fight team at my home gym in Nebraska City, which is like 45 minutes from here. I train every day still. And yeah, my life is just, I'm throwing a show this weekend. So like my life is revolves around fighting. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like, obviously the family, the girl, the little, little one keeps my mind off things. I got a, they got a four year old stepdaughter. She, uh, she definitely keeps me busy, but like my mindset's always surrounding fighting and it's hard to shut that off for sure. So you say you're throwing a show. What is the show that you're throwing this weekend? So I, uh, my manager has a show called Dynasty Combat Sports, and three, 
<clears throat> a few times a year I throw I throw basically based off his name, me and him team up and we throw a show in Syracuse, Nebraska, which is 15 minutes from my hometown, Nebraska City, Nebraska. And uh, I have a couple of studs coming up that are from the area that we throw the show, you know, so they can get their fights in and stuff. That's awesome, man. Good for you. I mean, that is one of the things that I, I've been so concerned about in terms of uh, this era is just uh, the local fighters trying to get their fights in at a time that is very, very uh, unorthodox and, and very weird. But I also want to bring this last though, you know, I obviously, man, and that, that is a pretty great thing. I forgot to bring this up when I did your Instagram audit. So here's a photo and I'd love for you to tell me the background on this because I don't know that many people have this in their family that they can explain, but I want you to just look at this photo. <clears throat> is this your brother in this photo? Yeah, it's my it's my middle brother. It's, he's he's twenty. He's making his pro debut on Saturday. Brady. Wow. Yeah, man. Uh, so what happened? So the photo on the left, he texts me. That happened. That photo was taken on Sunday, I think, on a Sunday like four years ago, and uh, he texts me on Monday or that night, and he was like, "Hey, man." I need to get in shape. Like, I can't look like this. I have three kids. What the hell? Like, help me get in shape. So I was like, all right, show up tomorrow morning at five. Like, we'll get, we'll start getting you in shape because with his schedule, he came to my morning classes. For a year, he was consistent. He got down from, right in that picture, I think he was like 255, 260. He started walking around at like 210, 205. And yeah, man, he, he changed his whole lifestyle. He changed the way he ate, changed the way everything. And then, he got started a new job and he couldn't come to the morning training sessions no more. And so I was like, he's like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. He was all freaking out. He's going to get fat again, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, just come to MMA. You don't have to fight, blah, blah. Cause he was always claimed he was not the fighter. He was not the fighter. So then he started training MMA and he kind of like, he liked it. And he was like, well, this stuff's cool, blah, blah. And then I convinced him to take a fight and now he fights at 170. So yeah, he's, uh, he, he just had the toughest run and, uh, amateur like as an amateur that you can possibly have i think his opponents were like 80 and like 16 or something so like in that's a good ass amateur opponent so yeah he's making his pro debut this weekend that's my middle the 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 middle brother well first of all that's a really great story man and and credit to him i love seeing those transformations a lot of us in this sport love seeing those transformations uh you said you have one more brother are you ever trying to lean in on him and being like i mean he fights too he fights as well yeah he's uh brady uh brady's the middle one brett's the youngest one he actually fought two days after his 18th birthday um and he's he's 22 21 22 now he's been fighting longer than brady and i think he's He's that kind of tough. I think he's like seven and seven and four, seven and five as an amateur. But yeah, like, um, yeah, man, he he's definitely he definitely fights too. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. So that that's because to show you the background of like I've been fighting my whole life. Like I was the oldest brother, but man, that one, the middle one's like uh, six foot four. Oh, man. You know, like why well, he I was always the smallest, but I'm the smallest brother. So the shortest one for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, that's a great story to hear as well. So kudos to you and your family, man. I just love the fact that when I was doing the deep dive, I saw that photo and I just thought what a great bonding experience that not every family gets to have. And more importantly, he oh, makes yeah. his pro debut over this weekend. And that's got to be something that I'm sure feels very fulfilling for you 
as an older brother to provide that kind of guidance for him as well. Yeah, man, it's crazy because we were never like, so growing up, like I pretty much lived with my grandparents growing up because me and my brother, like we fist fought a lot and like life, like I rebelled a lot when mom and dad got divorced and stuff. So when I was 10, I pretty much moved in with my grandma and grandpa. And, and so me and Brady, we weren't like super close, like growing up. And so like, it's crazy what this sport has done for like our brotherhood you know, our actual brother's fucking relationship, all three of us. So God has definitely grew as a, grew as a brother. And, you know, now our, all our kids are around, you know, younger and stuff. So it's, it's definitely a lot better for our aspect that he came to me to get in shape. And now he uh, enjoys the sport as much as I do. You guys are the family that watches the movie warrior together and goes like, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good <laughs> oh, movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Well, listen, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us. I wanted to kind of open the floor to go ahead and first ask you, what are you looking to do next, man? Like, what are you looking at? I know that you mentioned you want to stay at the ready, and obviously you're not picking out too much on all the ice cream there is in all of Nebraska. But all things considered, if you got what you wanted, what would you like to do next? Man, I just like – I. Uh... I like to fight like beginning in November, first, first week or two in November. And then, you know, if, if a short notice came right after that, I probably would take it like after I pick up my next win, but like, I haven't enjoyed the holidays. And since I was like 13 years old, you know what I mean? Like I've been yeah. cutting weight for wrestling tournaments all growing up. And then I've always had a fight either right after Thanksgiving or right after Christmas or both. So like maybe, maybe we enjoy the holidays a little bit this year and, you know, go from there. If not, like I'll rattle off, I'll rattle off one in November, one in January. I don't care. Like I, I stay ready and I just, I just like to fight, man. So hopefully, hopefully coming off the quick win, we get grab, grab something real quick. Especially you're healthy. They probably can use somebody at any given time. Who knows if somebody has something they catch, who knows if something falls through the fight game has gotten wackier as we have seen. Uh, in elements sure. where sometimes the fight gods are very cruel to us. So that's pretty awesome. To see, man. Uh, hey man, it's, it is part of the game. That is one of the things that yeah. we try to keep a, a very good perspective on. And for me, it's more so on like, I think one of the things that is really important as a fight fan to keep in perspective is you guys are also human. So we ask you to do sometimes extraordinary things to your bodies. So whatever keeps you safe and healthy, both physically and mentally, is of the most importance to us, I believe. Uh, yeah, for sure. So let's do this, man. I'm going to open the floor right now. <clears throat> I think it's a good time for you to remind people where they can find your fights over the weekend, but I want to give you the opportunity to go and shout out anybody who helped you get ready for the weekend, uh, anybody who uh, was instrumental in your fight camp, any sponsors that you want to take care of. Sir, I will uh, go ahead and mute myself, and you have the floor. Man, I just uh, I just want to give a shout out to all my sponsors. Uh, they knew who they are. I mean, I got lots of lots of sponsors that back me. They've been backing me for a long time. I got a town in Nebraska City, Nebraska that's backed me forever. You know, since day one. A lot of like saying thanks to all the sponsors. Like thanks to James Krause and Glory MMA um, for helping me get ready and welcoming me to the team. Also, thanks to my teammates at Premier Combat Center here with Ryan Jensen in uh, Omaha. Uh, shout out to my girlfriend, Jordan. Um, she held down the fort for last month when I, you know, was out of camp and uh, couldn't be home to help take care of the girls. So, yeah, man, just uh, 
just thankful for all the people that have had my back and continue to have my back, all of my family, friends, and fans. And then on social media, you can find me at, on Twitter at, at Derek Minner, on Instagram at Minner135. And yeah, that's about it. Well, that is good stuff. Derek, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I wanted to make sure we properly congratulated you and gave you your due for an amazing submission finish. Like I said, man, I look forward to one day when I grab one of my buddies being able to look over, stick my tongue out just because I know I'm so confident in my guillotine. I feel like that's something that we should all be trying to achieve. Hell yeah. I'm going to try to do that again. <laughs> I, I hope it works for you, man. I hope somebody <laughs> shoots in a really rough uh, double on a wrestler who's used to that life. But uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and close this off. I'm going to say goodbye to you off air if you don't mind. But I will see you off in just a second. My thanks again, sir. Thank you so much for coming in to chat with us today. Thanks, boss. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for sticking around. This is another great episode. I'm going to tell you this. Here's how we're going to end it. If you could do us a solid, go over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and find Grappling Hour. And specifically on Apple Podcasts, give us a rank and a review, a.k.a. a five-star review and a little bit of, you know, some comments that say something nice about us. We will give you a shout-out if you do that. That would mean the world to us. I cannot tell you guys how much it helps the show to put us more in the foreground of the podcasting community. And it's that kind of confidence that makes me able to tell you guys if you gave us a five-star review, I would come up to you and I would say, You're You're the the best. best around no one's gonna ever take you down you're the best around yeah i didn't really think i was gonna sing at the end of the show but here we are hey you made it all the way to the end i think you deserve some kind of surprise so there you have it that's your surprise and in order to keep me off of this microphone singing for your viewing pleasure or listening pleasure at this point why don't we just call it a day i'll see you guys back here sooner than later my name's rafa sparza it's been a great day for grappling We'll see you back on the mats. Eventually. Around. <laughs>